about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Father in heaven, thank you again for your blessing and mercy, Lord. Thank you for the rain. You know, as much as, as uh, I'm whining about it, it, it is wonderful to, to have the rain, Lord that you, uh, you take care of us. And in fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to talk about the rain. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you bless us as, we, as we've come together in this camp meeting. Lord, we, we need the power of the Spirit of God. And so we're asking that you will, you will be here, that you will be present, that we will hear your voice and that we will see you. And Lord, once again, I ask that you speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the title of, uh, of this talk is Elephant in the Room. And I just realized I need to quit crossing through this because the projector's there. <laughs> I'm just blinding myself. Uh, Elephant in the Room. Acts chapter 2 is one of my favorite places in Scripture, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is by far one of, the, one of my favorite places, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's also one of those stories that bothers me the most. It's one of these that keep me up at night, keep me awake at night. And I'm bothered because if you read the entire book of Acts, it's not just Acts chapter 2, but if you read the entire book of Acts, what you find is that the Holy Spirit seems to be available wholesale for anybody that wants it. Read through it and you'll find the disciples are talking to folks and they'll come to you and they'll say, have you received the Holy Spirit? If you dare say no, they'll come to you, lay hands and boom, you have the Holy Spirit. And that bothers me. Even into the, into the rest of the New Testament, the Spirit of God seems to be available to everybody. And I want the Spirit. And so as I think about Acts chapter 2, I'm like, oh man, if I could have been a fly on the wall just to experience that, just to see it. Can you imagine these, these cloven tongues of fire coming down on people's heads and all of a sudden they're, they're speaking in other tongues. And if you read all of Acts chapter 2, thousands are converted in a day. There's so much work that God does in the New Testament based upon what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. And, and today I'm thinking, don't we have to finish this work? We need the Holy Spirit in, in order to do that. But it doesn't seem like we've had that kind of outpouring in a long, long time. And, and that bothers me a bit because it's not always been that way. We've always had the power of the Spirit of God within the church. Now, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit moving on an individual or even an evangelistic series. Sean and I just preached one in uh, Calgary, Canada. We, we, we jointly preached it, and, and the, the power of God was there. I wish I had time to tell you some of the stories, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wrap those into some of the other presentations, but I know the power of God was there. And yet what I'm talking about is not necessarily that as much as it is Pentecost. The former rain, the latter rain, that kind of power that God's going to give the entire church so that we can finish the work. We haven't seen that kind of power in a long time. But you might be thinking, well, pastor, hold on. 
I think that maybe God did this in Acts chapter 2 because of the, of the, of the New Testament church. I, I mean, you remember Matthew chapter 23, right? At the end of Matthew tra- chapter 23, God says, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, I wanted to do so much for you. I wanted to, to bring you in and, and just hide you under my wings, and, and yet you wouldn't let me. Your temple is left to you what? Your temple is left to you, to you desolate. And, and of course, we go to Acts chapter 7. We see the stoning of Stephen. We see that the message goes now to the priesthood of all believers. Those that had been chosen, the, the, the Jewish nation, they're no longer that, that chosen nation. Now God is, is, is rising up a New Testament church. And you might be thinking, well, the Holy Spirit was poured out in great power because God's about to launch the New Testament church. And if you're thinking that way, well, you're not, you're not mistaken. That is true. The only problem is if you follow Christian history all the way till today, you'll see that the Spirit of God has always been poured out on God's people. Let me give you another example, Moravian revivals. How many of you studied Moravian revivals? Well, at least one. (laughs) That's good. I'll tell you a little bit about it. 1727. So you've got this guy by the name of Zinzendorf, Count Zinzendorf. And as a little child, he he just loves Jesus. He wants to walk with, with God. He dedicates his life to, to the Lord from, from childhood. And, and this is what we say. I'm a Pathfinder leader at my church, man. I, I tell you what, when these young people are seeking the Lord, we need to give them the Lord. That's what we need to give them. All the stuff that we're trying to give our young people all the time, it's not getting them anywhere. They want the Bible. They want to study the Bible. My little four-year-old, as we start rounding the bend to get to the church and she sees the church, she starts screaming, Sabbath school, Sabbath school. I want to go to Sabbath. It could be Tuesday and it doesn't matter. She wants to go to Sabbath school. When those kids want Jesus, we need to give them Jesus because as they grow up, the world's going to give them all kinds of, of other stuff. Count Zinzendorf, he's, he's a little child and he gives his life to Christ. And, and when he gets to, I guess, the equivalent of, equivalency of college back in those days, when he gets there, he's got a lot of friends that are asking him to do this and do that with him. And he's, he's saying, no, no, I, I don't do that kind of thing. But, but he invites them to come with him and he teaches them the Bible. There, there's power in our young people, by the way. Empower our young people to preach the gospel. They're, they'll win souls like that like crazy. They don't have all of the biases that we have. They're not, they're not scared. Anytime I want somebody to knock on the doors at the church, you know who I pick? I pick my pathfinders because they're fearless. They're feel my, my daughters, man, they, they'll walk next to a house and it'll say, beware of the dog. Don't come in unless you want lead in you or something like that. And be, before I can tell them, hey, hey, be careful with, they're already over the fence and at the door knocking. It, it's a, there's a little disconnect in, in, in these teenagers' brains, but, but God uses that in tremendous way. Em, empower the young people to, to preach and, and, and knock on doors. They, they're, they're amazing. Zinzendorf, he's, he's, he's uh, dedicating his life to Jesus. He, he's converting his, his, uh, his friends, and eventually he becomes an adult, and he becomes the, the count, and, and he's looking at the problem of Christianity at the time. It's 1727. It's not the end of the 1,260 years, by the way, when does the, one, the, when does the 1260 end? 1798, that's right. It's not quite there. There's still some persecution happening. And, uh, and he thinks to himself, you know what? If I bring Christians onto my property, I can, I can protect them. 
And so that's what he does. He invites Christians to come and live with him, and several take him up on it. Uh, I mean, just a, a good number, 100, 200. I can't remember what the number is off the top of my head now. But they, they take him up on it, and they start all living together. There's only one problem. They're all from multiple different denominations. Well, that's not necessarily an issue unless you're living in the same place and you're talking religion and trying to worship together, which is what they... I mean, think about the Adventist church. We can't even agree. And we're, we're just one church. Imagine bringing all these people, and that's exactly what happened. There, was, there were issues. They were having multiple issues between themselves. And finally, uh, the count begins to pray with a few uh, friends of his, and he comes up with an idea through the power of God. He comes up with an idea. He's going to meet with every single one of the families. And, and he does that. He, he gets an appointment. He meets with every family, and he asks them two things. Number one, put your differences aside. Now, the ask to put your differences aside, it's not like, like we hear today in sort of the ecumenical type movement where everybody just brings their belief, throw it in a pot, we'll take a golden paddle and mash it around and then come out, come out some kind of... That's not what he was asking. He was just saying, hey, lay that aside. Let's not argue about that because I need you to do one other thing. Here's the second thing. I want you to commit that we will all come together and pray like mad, fast and pray, and ask God what he would have us do. Every single family takes him up on this. And this is the story that, that ensues. The Moravian revival of 1727 was thus preceded and then sustained by extraordinary praying. Spirit of grace, unity, and supplications grew among them. On July 16, many of the community covenanted together on their own accord to meet often to pour out their hearts in prayer and hymns. On the 5th of August... Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, the count, spent the whole night in prayer with about 12 or 14 others following a large meeting for prayer at midnight where great emotion prevailed. On the 10th of, uh, of, the 10th of August, on Sunday, Pastor Roth, while leading the service at Hernhut, was overwhelmed by the power of the Lord about noon. He sank down into the dust before God. So did the whole congregation. They continued till midnight in prayer and singing, weeping, and praying. And now listen to what happens on the, on the 13th. On Wednesday, the 13th of August, the Holy Spirit was poured out on how many? On them all. Their prayers were answered in ways far beyond anyone's expectation. Well, Pastor, how do we know it was the real Holy Spirit? Because, you know, that's obviously a concern. People will say, hey, you know, there's, there's all kinds of false stuff out there. And even Jesus in Matthew 24 said we need to be careful about deceptions. Well, what, the, what does the Bible say? By their fruit, you will what? By their fruit, you will know them. Here's, here's the fruit. Many of them decided to set aside certain times for continued earnest prayer. On the 26th of August, 24 men and 24 women covenanted together to continue praying in intervals of one hour each, day and night, each hour allocated by lots to different people. So they said, you know what? The, the lights in the sanctuary, in the Old Testament sanctuary temple, they were never supposed to go out. So if they were never supposed to go out, then maybe our prayers should never go out. So why don't we take uh, teams of two and we'll assign them an hour every single hour so we'll cover the entire 24-hour period and then our prayers will never go out. And that's what they did. On the 27th of August, this new regulation began. Others joined the intercessors, and the number involved increased to 77. They all carefully observed the hour which had been appointed for them. The intercessors had a weekly meeting where prayer needs were given to them. And then the kids wanted to get involved. The children, also touched powerfully by God, began a similar plan amongst themselves. Those who heard their infant supplications were deeply moved. 
The children's prayers and supplications had a powerful effect on the whole community. And that astonishing prayer meeting, check this out, that astonishing prayer meeting lasted how long? 100 years. 100 years. It was unique, known as the hourly intercession. It involved relays of men and women in prayer without ceasing made to God. That prayer also led to action, especially evangelism. More than 100 missionaries left the village community in the next 25 years, all constantly supported in prayer. Every, every, everybody that you can think of during that period of time, all the great evangelists, all the great revivalists and preachers were somehow affected by the, by the Moravians. I mean, uh, you just, you name it, and, and they were there. It's, 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 it's amazing the work that, that the Moravians were able to do through, through the power of the Spirit of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, look at the date, though, Pastor. It's 1727. I mean, 1798 is, is coming around the corner, and, and uh, you know how, how the Bible was suppressed during the Dark Ages, and, and God is making a movement. Maybe, maybe, Maybe he just needed to pour the Spirit out in greater power during this period of time in preparation for 1798. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know where you're going. It makes a whole lot of sense. But again, this is just one story. I've just picked one story of the many of the outpouring stories, and it continues even after 1798. Check this one out. This is, this is uh, Sabbatarian history. Uh, everybody knows William Miller, right? We're in an Adventist group, so everybody should know William Miller. And the Millerite movement, we, we, uh, we know that they, they started studying. They thought that Jesus was going to come back somewhere, somewhere between 1843 and 1844. And then they finally picked October 22, 1844. By the way, William Miller actually never set a date. He was not a date setter. He just kind of put it out there that said, you know, I think somewhere between 1843, 1844. But, but we know that God will come one day soon. That was kind of his, his thinking. He actually didn't accept the date of October 22, 1844 until about two weeks before it happened. Didn't even sell his, his farm. But the great disappointment comes. The writers, history writers tell us they wept and wept until the day is dawn. And, and then all, all, of, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was a, there was a dispersing, if you will, of all of these believers. Many of these believers just went away. Some went back to their churches. Some left the faith altogether. Uh, others became very fanatical about what happened. And then a very small portion became the Sabbatarians. And the Sabbatarians are what eventually became the Seventh-day Adventist church. This story is happening in the time of the Sabbatarians. September 14, 1849, fanaticism was rampant. F.T. Howland long troubled God's children with his errors and harsh spirit. During prayer, the Spirit of the Lord rested upon Brother S. Howland. There appeared to be a light around him, and his face was white as he approached F.T. Howland. There's no, re no relation between F.T. and S. Howland. And in, in the name of the Lord, bid him leave the assembly of the saints. Said he, you have torn the hearts of God's children and made them bleed. Leave the house or God will smite you. That rebellious spirit never before known to fear or to yield sprang for his hat and in terror left the house. Now, let me just pause for a moment and talk a little bit about something that I've, that I've seen as I've had the opportunity to travel from church to church. It seems like our churches are filled with harsh spirits that are tearing at the heart of, of people every single, every single day. Some of these harsh spirits have been at these churches for years, doing the very same thing over and over again. Now, it's amazing to me that when we're talking about sin, we're, we're very willing to point that out. You know, you see somebody doing something that they shouldn't be doing, it's like, ah, uh -huh, you, you ought not do that. 
But when it comes to character, we don't seem to want to check that at all. We just leave these people in the churches and they're tearing the churches to bits and we're just kind of letting it be, letting it happen. And I believe, friends, that God's going to bring us to judgment on that. One day we will stand before the holy throne of God and He's going to ask you, what did you do with the church that I gave you? And we're, we're going to have to answer that. L listen to what happens next. The power of God descended something as it did on the day of Pentecost, 1849. And five or six who had been deceived and led into error and fanaticism fell prostrate to the floor. Parents confessed, confessed to their children and children to their parents and to one another. Brother Jane Andrews, with deep feeling, exclaimed, I would exchange a thousand errors for one truth. Such a scene of confessing and pleading with God for forgiveness we have seldom witnessed, 1849. Now... That did not happen until this brother left the room. I believe that one of the reasons maybe that we're not receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in our churches is because we're allowing this stuff to happen in our church. Now let me put a little caveat there, because I don't want you to run to your church and pastor and say, hey, VOP came out here and said we can now just throw everybody out. There's a biblical way to do this, right? There's a biblical way to do that. There's a Matthew 18 way to, way to do that. And Matthew 18, by the way, is not three strikes and you're out. Everybody agree with that? It's, it's not like, you know, you're, you're done here, and so you go here, and now you're, that, that's it. What, uh, what does it say about Mary? Jesus forgave Mary how many times? Cast out seven demons. And then we saw Peter, Peter in talking with, uh, with Jesus, maybe he was pulling from, from the story of Mary, but Peter talking to Jesus said, how many times should we forgive? Up to seven times. And what, does, what did Jesus respond? Seventy times seven. And, and quite frankly, quite honestly, just being transparent with you, every time I hear the story of Mary and, and hear that she, was, she had seven demons that was cast out from her, you know, God, God forgave her seven times, I think to myself, really? That's it? You were, able to, you were able to get victory just in seven times? Because for me, it hasn't quite worked out that way. If it wasn't for the story of Peter, 490 times, I, I would have given up. I, I so love the fact that, that Jesus said 70 times seven. And, and sometimes, even coming out here today, I, I realize that I still have some of my old ways with me as cars are cutting in front of me. And I'm thinking, Lord, when am I going to get victory? 490 times the Lord says, you know, listen, just, just keep coming to, to the Lord. And, and we, know, we know that if we fall, that we have an advocate in heaven. But, um, but that concept of, of God is willing to forgive, such a powerful concept. We don't, we don't have a whole lot of time to, to cover it. But here's what I want to say. Matthew 18. You don't know if, if God wants, to stay, wants you to stay in step one for a little while. And sometimes you stay in step two for a little while as well. Sometimes it's, it's you, you get this one brother to come with you. And if that doesn't work, you go get another brother to come with you. Sometimes you're not the right person to go. Sometimes you have to step back and say, man, there might be somebody else that's, that's better at this that, that God can use here and let, let them go. It, it's a process. But no, no, there is a process. No, it can take some time. But also no, until these issues get taken care of, God can't pour out his spirit in the church. And I think that we, we need to take care of some of these issues in our churches because folks are, are tearing at the hearts of our, our, our church members on a daily basis. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been an Adventist? Let, let, let's go Christian. How many of you have been a Christian for at least 10 years? Raise your hand. All right, keep them up. 20 years? 30 years? 40 years? 
50 years. I got to put my hand down. I'm not that old. I'm almost, though. I, I am just there at the, at the borders of Canaan. It's, it's about to happen just in a, in a few months. But all right, 50, 60. I see, I see some hands still up. Right, right about here, then people, not, people start pulling their hands down because nobody wants to know how you're old. <laughs> 65? Do we have 65? 70? Praise God. 75. We still have a couple of hands. 80? Now I've reached. <laughs> All right, 80. Congratulations. Praise God. 80 years of Christianity. So let, let me ask you this. In this room right now, we, we, can, we can say, I think we, we, can, we can say that there's at least 80 plus or minus years of Christian faith sitting in this room today, whatever it happens that you, you might have, right? Is that fair to say? All right. Listen to this question carefully. Now, don't, don't get so excited and raise your hand before, it's, before I'm ready. Listen to, listen to the question carefully. In those 80 plus or minus years, whatever it is that you happen to have, how many of you have witnessed or experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Hold on, don't put your hands up yet. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit like unto Pentecost. Now, what do I mean with that? I mean Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit was poured out. They were in one accord. Flames of fire came down. They spoke in other tongues and thousands were converted in a day. How many of you have experienced that kind of outpouring in the last 80 or so years of Christian experience? Raise your hands. Maybe you didn't understand the question, right? No, no, you understood the question. And see, this is the elephant in the room. We're going to church and we're, we're, doing, the, we're doing the things of church. We're, we're singing the songs. We're, we're preaching the sermons. We've got the Sabbath schools going. We've got a beautiful arena right here. This is an amazing camp meeting. I wish it wasn't raining, but it's an, we're doing this year after year after year. But the elephant in the room is that we haven't seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like unto Pentecost in over a hundred years, guys. Does that bother you? Yes. It bothers me. It, it bothers me because it hasn't been like that. Yeah, we had, we had these times of drought. I mean, if you look, if you look back in, in 1 Samuel, it, it says that the, the word of the, God, of, of the Lord hadn't been heard in a long, long time. But the reality is that God says He wants to give the Spirit of God to us more than, than we want to give good gifts to our kids. And, and I, know, I, I know that kind of language because I have five children and I constantly want to give them good gifts. And, and if, if I want to give them good gifts and God is saying that He wants to give the Spirit to us like that, then I, I've got to believe it. The, the Bible says that, that, that God wants to do it and we've got to believe the Bible because God doesn't lie. So if God wants to give us the power of the Spirit of God, again, not talking about your conversion story, not talking about the evangelism stories that you've had. Anytime anybody comes to, to, uh, to a relationship with Jesus, it's the power of the Spirit of God. The fact that you are here today is the power of the Spirit of God. Because Genesis 6 says, The Lord looked down, He saw the wickedness of man was great, and every intent of the heart was evil, what? Continually. And so if we had our own choice, we would not be here. So that is the Spirit of God. What I'm talking about is the outpouring of the Spirit of God that we will need, the latter rain, former rain, all of this power that we will need to finish the work. What the disciples used and the followers of God used to, to, to basically evangelize the then known world in the New Testament time. We haven't seen that in a long, long time. Now, here's the good news. God sees everything. He's omniscient. He sees everything. He, he knows. He's got 
prophetic eyes. He, he looks into the future. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And he looked into the future and he saw exactly what was going to happen in the last days. He saw us. And he placed a formula in Scripture that if we were to follow this formula, it guarantees the power of the Spirit of God. It's not because we guarantee it, it's because Scripture guarantees it. And you actually know this formula really, really well. You probably just haven't spent enough time on it. And so, for the rest of the period of time, that's what I want to touch on. This is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. You remember this story, right? David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Nathan came in and said, that's a great idea. Go ahead and build a temple. Then as he was walking out, the Lord said, you need to go back, talk to David. He's not the one to build it, but his son will, will build it. It's a, it's a beautiful story. If you don't remember it, go, go read it. God makes, it, makes an incredible promise to, to David. He says, because, you're, because of your faithfulness, your willingness to make me a house, I will keep a man on the throne from your lineage forever. And actually, it's, it's an amazing story because right after that, the, the faith of, da of David, he says, do as you have promised. You know, the first time I read that, I thought, that's bold. But that's the, that's the kind of prayer that God wants us to pray because he's, pray he's praying the promises of God. God has promised, and now he's praying it back to him. God's promised so much to us in Scripture. We can pray that back. We need to pray that back. God wants to do wonderful things for us. But Solomon came around. He builds this temple. God is blessing the temple, and then he speaks to Solomon. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no what? That there be no rain. Now, back then we're talking about agriculture. Even today we can, we can, we can sort of uh, look at the need of, uh, for ag agriculture. But these stories that are in Scripture, they're not just fancy stories, wonderful stories to look back on, on and say, oh, that was, that was a great story. They have to have some kind of application for us today. So in Scripture, what is symbolic of rain? Or rain is symbolic of what? The Holy Spirit. Here's what this is saying. If you come to camp meeting 2023 in Michigan one day and there's a preacher up there that is telling you that the power of the Spirit of God has not been seen like unto Pentecost in over a hundred years, that there has been no major rain, listen closely because God's about to give you the formula. Here it is. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. That's it. That's the formula right there. Five parts. Uh, well, let me read this. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the promise. Five parts. My people which are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their, from their wicked ways. We're going to cover these fairly quickly. Starting off right here with this causal relationship statement. If my people will, then I will what? then I will. If my people will do these things, then I will respond by doing these other things. Now, what's, what's fascinating about causal relationships is that the opposite is also true. If my people don't, then what? Then, then I can't. I can't do that. God wants to give us His Spirit in such a powerful way, and yet we haven't been faithful to the things that God has asked us to do here, so therefore He can't. Right now, I believe there are thousands of people around your churches that are ready to come through the doors of your church. Thousands of people. Why, why do I say thousands? Because God's promises are true. He said the harvest truly is what? 
great. Now, either God is a liar or, he, or he's telling the truth. And I believe that he's, he's telling the truth. He does not lie, the Bible tells us. The harvest truly is great in your churches. God wants to bring thousands of people through the doors of your churches right now. But he can't. Not yet. He can't trust us with these folks yet. My people called by my name. Let's, let's start there. John chapter 17, I believe, is one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture. Why is it one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture? What do you think? Because what? It's the Lord's Prayer? Yep. Anything else? Why else? Why is it the most powerful chapter in Scripture, or one of them? Talking about unity, we're going we're gonna to get back to that, yeah? People believe it because of other people. Okay. Anything else? Here's why I think this is one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture. You remember uh, Revelation chapter 12, 12 and Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, this, this whole battle between Lucifer and God, there was war in heaven. One of the things that Lucifer did not like was that he was not allowed to be in the councils of divinity. So when, when the, the, the Trinity there, when, when uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit would get together and speak, guess who was not invited? And he felt like he should be invited. I don't know why he felt he should be invited because, I mean, think about it. If God came to you today and said, hey, we're going to have a, a divine meeting with, uh, with the Godhead and we'd like you to sit down and give us some advice. How would you feel about that? <laughs> I would be like, I, I, I don't have anything to bring to the table. I, I, I can't call things into existence from nothing. But Lucifer felt, he, 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 was, he was so proud of himself, he, he felt that he had something to bring to the table, and, and God would not allow him to come into that divine circle. But in John chapter 17, God does the very thing that he would not allow Lucifer to do. He invites us into the divine conversation. We get to listen to God speaking to God in John chapter 17, if that's not amazing. And, and that, if, if God is speaking to God, do you think it's important? That's probably really, really important. So this is why I think it's one of the most powerful chapters in Scripture. Here's what he says. I have manifested thy what? Here's that, that, that word again that we were just looking at in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own what? Name those whom thou hast given me that they may be what? One as we are. I want you to notice something. Christ marries oneness with the name of God in John chapter 17. They're related to each other. He's saying, here, listen, I have manifested thy name. I want you to keep them in your name so that they might be one. Oneness and the name of God are, are, are in, in some ways synonymous here in John chapter 17. And I wonder, is it possible that the Holy Spirit has not been poured out in greater power in the church today because of a lack of oneness? Are your churches one? Don't raise your hand. How about your conference? How about the union and, and the division? Is the division one? Is the, is the world church, the world Seventh-day Adventist church, one? Is it possible that we have not received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in latter rain fashion because we are lacking oneness? Acts chapter 2 said, And when they were in what? One accord. Then the Holy Spirit was poured out. Element number one, God is looking for a people 
in one accord. Element number two, humble themselves. What does that mean? Mark chapter 9. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. This is the story of, of the transfiguration. Jesus has gone up, he's pulled three disciples, and he was transfigured there. Then as he came back down, he saw that there was a, a great commotion around his disciples. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth. I was going to change this from the King James so I can read it. And pineth away and spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Why could they not cast the demon out? Because what? Their attitude. What were, what were they discussing the whole time? Who's the greatest? They're worrying about themselves. Who's going to sit on the left hand? Who's going to sit on the right hand? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and when you have that kind of attitude, when you, when you are focused on self, then you can't be focused on the things of God. And so they weren't able to cast the demon out. They had forgotten Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It's not by might nor by power, but by what? But my spirit, saith the Lord, and well would they have done if they had remembered what Jesus said. Did you not know that I must be about whose business? Whose business are you over today? Whose business are you about? Are you about your own business? Are you building your own empire? Are you building your own castle? Are you worried about your house, your car, your education? What's going to happen next? Your future, your retirement? What is it that's taking up your time? God says that we are to be about His business, not our business. Major Ian, Ian Thomas uh, is a, a revivalist uh, preacher of old, and, and he was wrestling with his, with his Christian experience uh, one time, and, and he felt that this is what the Lord said to him as he prayed. This is now the thing you have got to realize. God is speaking to him. You cannot have my life for your program. You can only have my life for my program. God is telling us the same thing. He wants to give us His Spirit, but he needs, he needs to give us His Spirit so that we can be on board with His program. Element number one, God is looking for a people in one accord. Element number two, God is looking for a people about our Father's business. Element number three, prayer. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, powerful chapter in or verse in Scripture. Jesus has come in. He sees all the stuff that are being sold in the temple. He begins to, to overturn the tables and uh, just sort of a radical picture of Christ. You don't typically see that kind of picture, but we see it a couple of times in Scripture as, as he's just clearing this, this temple out. And he says, my house shall be called a house of what? A prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Is your house a house of prayer? Is your church a house of prayer? For the Moravians, a house of prayer was 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 100 years. That was a house of prayer. How about for, for our churches? Several, uh, several years ago, I think it was, I was, I was talking about this, this particular house of prayer concept at a church, and a fairly, fairly large church, and I remember I asked the question, I said, what, what would happen if we as a congregation right now would make the decision, we all collectively make this decision, that we're not going to work 40 days a week or 40 hours a week, we're going to only work 32 hours a week. 
we all, we all decide this collectively. We are no longer going to work 40. We're going to work 32. Well, what will we do with those other eight hours, Pastor? We'd come to the church. We'd pray like mad. And then we'd go into the community and work. Every single week, eight hours carved out. Instead of working 40, we work 32. Eight hours carved out every single week. What would be the result of that if we were to do that, if we all collectively were to do that? And I remember it was quiet. And all of a sudden, a guy way in the back, just, uh, it was a, one of these long, long churches. Way in the back, this guy gets up, stands up, and you can tell that he's just visibly bothered by, by that question. And he's kind of hem-hawing around in his head, he's just kind of going back and forth, just trying to figure out how to, how to answer. And finally, he spits it out, and he says, Well, I guess the Lord would come. He screams that out in the church. And you could hear a pin drop in that church. And for one of the first times in, in, in my life, I had nothing to say. I, I, because he was right. He was absolutely right. You see, in the Adventist church, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's just that we don't have the courage to do it. Now, don't go out here and say the VOP came out here and said that you had to work 32 hours a week. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we've got to take this seriously. How many of you have ever called your elders together? or your church board together and said, God said that his house shall be a house of prayer. What does that look like for a church? How many of you have ever done that in your church? Listen, if, if you have not intentionally sat down to talk about making your house a house of prayer, your house probably is not a house of prayer. Because all of these things take intentionality. We'll talk a little bit more about intentionality in program five and six. But churches grow through intentional growth. The power of the Holy Spirit, yes, but there is an intentional aspect. We can't just leave it and say, oh, we're just, we're just going to end up growing. It takes great intentionality, and it gr takes great intentionality to become a house of prayer. I encourage you, come out of this. If you don't get anything else, come out of this. Sit down with your church and ask that question. What does a house of prayer look like for us? Element number one, God is looking for a people in one accord. Element number two, God is looking for a people about our Father's business. And element number three, God is looking for a people of prayer. Element number four, seek my face. John chapter 5, verse 39, it says, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life, but these are they that testify of who? Of me. Of me. If you want to find Jesus, you find him in the pages of Scripture. You want to find his face, you find him in the Word of God. It's, it's the only divine revelation that we have. You find it in the Word of God. Here's one of my other favorite stories in, in Scripture. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. As a kid, I would read the children's stories, or my parents would read the children's stories for me, or we'd, we'd be in Sabbath school, and they would read me the story of Joash. You remember the, do you remember King Joash? And I loved King Joash. I mean, just what kid doesn't love King Joash? And then I grew up and I read the rest of the story. Oh, that dude is horrible. I mean, what, he killed his, what was it, his cousin? I think he, he had his cousin. I mean, it was, he's horrible. So I don't, I don't really like King Joash anymore. But Josiah, now that's, that's a boy king that I like a little bit better. And this is the story of Josiah. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, and the house. He sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. 
Now, when they brought out the, mon the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the Lord that he rent his clothes. Why did he rent his clothes? Because what? They realized that they were in rebellion. That's right. They had been in rebellion for so many years. And that book of the law also, also talked about what God was going to do, the, the, the judgments that were coming. And he saw this and he rent his clothes and he sent out, you know, find out if this is true. Go, go, go visit uh, the, the prophet, uh, speak to God. And God comes back and says, that is true. This is exactly what's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in your, in your lifetime. And then the story is fantastic. He goes on a rage, bringing the people back back to the, to the Lord from, from that point on. How many of you are really excited that they found the book of the law? Amen. But how did they lose the book of the law in the first place? How do you, how do you lose the book of the law? And I wonder, have we lost the book of the law in the Seventh-day Adventist church? I'm not talking about whether or not you know where your Bible is or your hundredth Bible, because every good Adventist has about a hundred on the shelves and just about every color and every feel and, and, uh, and, and multiple translations. I'm asking whether you're reading the Bible. Are we reading the Bible as a denomination, as a church? Because these, these are the words of God. This is where you find the face of God. When I started preaching years ago, I'm... Uh, I'm a uh, second career pastor or third career. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. I, my, my wife said to me one time, you need to, you need to figure out what you're going to do when you grow up. And I, I just, I, I just love all kinds of stuff. But in my, in my, uh, in one of my careers, the one that probably took most of, the, of my early years, um, I was in law enforcement for 12 years. I was in the fire service for nine. I did some of that together. So about 15 years in, in, uh, in emergency services before I came into ministry. And, and when I came into the ministry, I don't have time to tell you that story, but let me just tell you that I came into the ministry kicking and screaming. I did not want to be here, but God literally spoke and told me I had no choice. And when God speaks and gives you an alternative and the alternative is not fantastic, then you do what he tells you to do. And I came into ministry. So when I came into the ministry, I was not helping myself whatsoever. I was not going to, to put a resume in. I was not going to find a job. I was not going to get educated. I was already educated in other areas. So why, why do this? So God had to do all kinds of stuff to bring me into ministry. And when I first... Uh, became a pastor, had my, my first district, um, nobody had told me how to be a pastor. I didn't know how to be a pastor at all. In fact, in my first interview, some guy was, was sitting in the, in the, in the seats and he, and he said, man, pastor, or, or, or Alex, I wasn't a pastor yet, he said, Alex, you have an amazing resume, but what do you know about being a pastor? I said, I don't know anything about being a pastor. I can kick down doors and put people in jail. That's what I know to do. But God has called me to the pastoral work. And um, so when I started preaching, I didn't know anything. I had no idea. And I thought to myself, I was sitting at home thinking to myself, well, I'm a pastor now. <laughs> you know, what do pastors do? And, and, and I thought about preaching. I got to preach. Um, so I thought, huh, well, maybe I'll just preach the Bible. That's a novel idea. Preach, <laughs> preach the Bible. You're a pastor. You're in church. You're going to preach the Bible. And so I thought, let me just start preaching the Bible. Third month into preaching, and, and, and uh, as soon as the sermon is over, I, I, I run down the center aisle to, to shake hands at the door. Why did I do that, by the way? Well, it's because I'd been in church my entire life, and that's what I saw people do. So I just thought that that's what pastors do. They just go and shake hands after they preach. So that's what I did, because nobody was really telling me what to do. So I'm, I'm out there shaking hands with folks and this big big guy I mean big big guy 
he came in and he, and he stretched his hand out. And, and it's one of these guys that, you know, I don't know what he's been doing for a living, but he will crush you with just two of his fingers. And he grabs my hand and he is just squeezing. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a manly police officer. I'm not going to let him know that I'm about to die. But, you know, I'm just sitting there and he's just squeezing as hard as he And he looks me straight in the eyes. He's like, thank you for bringing the Bible back to the church. By the way, he's not Adventist. And I thought to myself, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I remember I drove home and I thought, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea what he... But years in ministry now have taught me exactly what he's talking about. Listen, I've got great opportunities that God has given me to go all around the world. And I don't know what we're preaching in our churches. What are we talking about when, with our youth groups and with our, with our worship? What are we doing? God has called us to be a people of the book. That's what he's called us to do. And he's given this, this platform up so that we can preach the everlasting gospel. That's what he expects us to preach. And I wonder, is it possible that God has not poured out his spirit on his people because we just have forgotten the book of the law? Element number one, God is looking for a people in one accord. Element number two, God is looking for a people, do you remember? About his father's business. Element number two, God is looking for a people of? Element number four, God is looking for a people of the book. And element number five, turn from wicked ways. Now, if we were doing the entire series, I would talk a little bit about, more about what this means, about repentance and forgiveness and true repentance. And I would probably talk a little bit about the story of Mary. You remember Mary. She's, uh, she's caught in adultery. She's taken. She's thrown at the feet of Jesus. And... Um, and they're leaving it up to, up to Jesus. They're trying to trap him. Any, any way he goes is wrong. And Jesus begins to write in the sand, and eventually they run away. And then Jesus says to her women, where are your accusers? She's looking around. She doesn't see them. And he says, neither do I accuse you. Now go and do whatever you want. Is that what he says? No, no, he doesn't say that. He says, go and sin what? No more, because true repentance is a turning away from wickedness. It's a turning away from sin. That's true repentance. You go to the Lord, you give it to God, and I, and I appeal to you, give it to God. He was already there. He's seen it all, guys. It's not like you're telling him some secret. Give it, give it to God. Get it off your chest. He forgives you, but then you are to go and sin no more. That's true repentance. What happens if you fall? There's an advocate in heaven, right? who understands what we have been through because he's been through. You ask for forgiveness because the Bible says if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. And when he gives you that forgiveness, you are to go out and sin no more. That's true repentance. And if we have time, we'd, we would cover some of that. But we don't really have time. I want to cover one, one thing related to turn from your wicked ways. It's out of Jeremiah chapter 25. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me, and I have spoken unto you rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. In the Bible, who has been tasked to receive messages from God and to explain or give those messages to the people? Who was tasked to do that? The prophets. The prophets. 
And the Lord has sent unto you all his servants the prophets, rising early and sending them. But ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Turn ye again now, every one from his evil way, and from the evil of your doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. God has given us the prophets so that we might know what things are to come, so that we might be ready for the coming of Christ. That's why he's, he's given us, so that we might receive reproof. And we know that we, we are walking in dangerous ground. He's given us all of this counsel, and yet we seem to reject the counsel on a regular basis. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 19 says that the testimony of Jesus is the what? Is the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit of prophecy? Well, number one, it is divine revelation. It's the Word of God. That is the ultimate spirit of prophecy. It, it is the only divine revelation. It is the Word. But God has promised that in the last days, we would have prophets, that we would see the, the gift of prophecy once again given to us in the last days. And in the church, we, we happen to have a modern-day prophet. What's her name? Ellen White. And God has given us this, this marvelous gift, not so that we can just set it on the shelves, but so that we can read through it and do the things that God has asked us to do. She's, she's leading us to Scripture, and we, we are to do these things, but so many want to just throw it out. And I wonder if one of the reasons God has not been able to pour His Spirit out on us is because we have not paid attention to, to the testimony that God has given us. Now, let me... Let me just give you a threefold problem with Ellen White. Number one, we don't read her. She wrote nearly 100,000 pages. I was talking to a prominent professor in Adventist history uh, some time ago, and I asked him, have you read everything that she wrote? And he cocked his head to the left, and he smiled, and he said, almost. He's not even read it all. So problem number one is we haven't, we haven't read her. We, we hardly read her. We, we read what we want to read. Number two, when we read her, we read her selfishly. We read her out of context. We're in the church. We're fighting with a brother or a sister, arguing about this or that, some kind of uh, theology that we feel is important. And all of a sudden, they say something that doesn't quite jive with the way that we think. And we go home, and, and now we have it right at our fingertips. We can just tick, 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 put one keyword in, and then we get a bunch of responses. We read through those until we find the paragraph that seems to say exactly what we wanted it to say. We go to the church armed with that. We find the brother or sister. And in casual conversation, we say, hey, remember that conversation we had yesterday? I was, I was at home and I was praying about it. You weren't praying about it. I was at home and I was praying about it and, and, and the Lord brought me this. And then behind, you're, you're going like, yes. We read her completely out of context. We take her out selfishly. Read the whole thing. Find everything that she has said. Read the entire thing and you're going to find some balance. And then number three, I don't believe that anybody actually has an issue with Ellen White in the entire world. There's nobody in the world that has an issue with Ellen White. I agree with uh, Dr. Merlin Bird. had some great opportunities years ago to take some classes for him, from him. She sa he says that, um, that Ellen White had a twofold passion, the love of God and Scripture. She's the prophet to Scripture. The, the issue that we have with Ellen White is actually not with her at all. It's, it's with the Bible. We don't like what the Bible has to say. That's the bottom line. 
And that's something that we're going to have to deal with with the Lord because he has written the word of God so that we might be saved. Go ahead. That's right. That's right. That's exactly what, it, what, it, what happened during, during uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, I think it was, um, if I'm remembering right, maybe not. But um, the, the whole Samuel story when they asked for a king and, um, and he's, uh, he got, God says to Samuel, don't, don't worry about it, Samuel. He's, they've rejected me. They've not rejected you. And, and, and this is what it comes down to. Sometimes you feel a lot of heat coming from, from folks and they're not rejecting you. They're, they're rejecting the word of God. Listen, five, five elements. God is looking for a people in one accord. God is looking for a people about our Father's business. God is looking for a people of prayer. God is looking for a people of the book. And God is looking for a people of the testimony. And remember what he said, Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And to keep it in context, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain. This is what you need to do. Here's, here's my appeal to you. Going into this fall event, into these prophecy meetings, if you want to see success in your church, if you want to see success in the Michigan Conference, take these five things and vote them into the church as the pillars of your church. And I guarantee God's going to grow your church. Not because it's my guarantee, but because God has promised it in, in Scripture. This, this is His promise. This is how He wants us to do things. And I think to myself, why, why, can't, why can't the outpouring of the Holy Spirit start right here in Michigan? It can't. It can't. Now, I do believe the latter rain power is going to be globally. It's going to be the church. But you know, former rain is still available. And it's pretty powerful stuff. I, I would love to see, even at this very camp meeting right now, the power of the Holy Spirit poured out like unto Pentecost. And we go from here in great power. Because I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living in this world. I'm tired. I'm sick of it. I want to go home. And I think it could start right here if we take this seriously. So my appeal to you is embrace 2 Chronicles chapter 7.14. Make that the pillar of your, of your church. And God promises that he will heal the land. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you have, you have given us the tools that we need to finish this work. You've not left us alone. You've not left us blind. You've given us everything. You've, you've told us what will happen in the last days. And now, Father, I'm, I'm asking that you will be true to your promise. Like, like David said, be true to your promise. You said you want to give us the Spirit of God, and you're willing to give us the Spirit. So this afternoon, Father, we're asking that you do that. Whatever is standing in our way, whatever is causing a wedge between us and you, Lord, make that clear so that we can remove it. And pour your Spirit out on your church so that we can grow your church, so that we can call people home. And so, Father, that you will come back and take us home because that's what you said until this gospel is preached to the whole world. Unless that happens, Jesus can't come. Be with us, Father, throughout uh, the rest of this camp meeting. 
all the speakers and all the messages, Father, and all the work that's being done. I just pray that your spirit will be here in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.